Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible-based program just for women where seasoned Naomi's nurture young roots with real scriptural food for the spirit, encouraging and equipping your walk in biblical womanhood. Grab a Bible, pull up a chair, and invite your friends. There's plenty of room at Naomi's Table. Well, ladies, welcome to Naomi's Table. My name is Amy Spreeman, along with my co-hostess, Nancy LeMay. Hey, Nancy. Hey. Hey, today, ladies, we are going to take the next two days to talk about something that uh, you don't hear about much anymore. It's about cults, as in, uh, you know, people might think of uh, Jonestown or the Moonies. But we're going to talk about what is a cult and are there cults today that are ensnaring people? Well, as a matter of fact, there are. We're going to go to God's Word quite a bit with that. You know, the the most impactful memories I have, first of all, the Jonestown Massacre, yeah. where you saw uh, Jim Jones have all of his followers commit suicide by drinking this poison Kool-Aid at the yeah. same time. And those who refused, they were shot. Yeah, I mean, it was such a matter of control. And then the other one is the uh, Branch Davidians down yep. in Waco, Texas. And uh, they were holding out. Uh, and of course, you know, I don't think this was right either. The Department of Justice or alcohol, tobacco, firearms, whatever. Uh, they stormed in and actually uh, something sparked a fire. I'm sure they probably had a lot of munitions there and uh, just burned the whole place down, including children. And it was just yeah, such was- a tragic event. But what is it that really causes people to go that length to such devotion that they actually will give up their lives for a cause or or a particular organization thinking they're doing it for God. Well, and, and a lot of people uh, talk about cults and characteristics, and they say, well, uh, there's some great charismatic leader that pulls them all together and makes people believe in him, kind of taking their eyes uh, off of uh, the, what the Bible says. And Actually, that's not necessarily true. Just because there is a leader that uh, people like doesn't necessarily um, define it as a cult. Uh, Really, what we're talking about is doctrine. And uh, there's quite a different belief system going on in true cults uh, as opposed to what the Bible teaches And it really does uh, have a lot of things in common. If you look from cult to cult, there are several things that they do in order to twist the Word of God. We have to remember that most cult members, they actually believe in Jesus. At least they say they do. And they say they rely on the Bible as an authority, and they're devoted to God with their whole being, their whole lifestyle. But what we find is that many of these cults have redefined all of these terms. So let's look at like the the first thing that they usually do. There's a warning in Proverbs 35 and 6, mm-hmm. and let me just read that real quick. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And then, of course, we know in Revelation, there's a stern warning not to add to or take away from the words of the book. So adding to the word of God oftentimes is one of the first things a cult does. Yeah. And if you look at what the uh, the Mormon uh, believers say, uh, right in their articles of faith of the Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 
uh, they say that the eighth article, uh, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe in the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. Now, so they they place this condition on the Bible as far as translated correctly. So, uh, but they believe that the Book of Mormon is accepted as scripture. Period. Uh, every word of it is is truth. And uh, as w- if you uh, study the Mormons, uh, you recall that Joseph Smith uh, was allegedly given a vision by, and, and he says it's the angel Moroni, who, uh, you know, we, we know of no such ang- angel in our scriptures, but uh, he said uh, to uh, Joseph Smith at the time, uh, basically, get rid of the, the scriptures or set that aside. What I'm about to tell you is true. Yes, and takes precedence over the Bible. You know, uh, when we go visit my mom in Missouri, they have built a huge Mormon temple that is along I-435 as we go from the airport down to their their town that they live in. And it has this massive gold mm. statue on top. And what is that gold statue? It's a depiction of the angel Moroni, I believe, mm-hmm. blowing a trumpet. Mm. And I mean, we're talking, this thing is huge. I mean, it's bigger than, I think, the original temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So you can see it for miles. They're attracting all these people to their church, and it's just amazing, you know, how many people are being deceived by that. Yeah. You know, another trait of cults is that they subtract from the person of Christ. So that's a pattern to look for. It sort of uh, exemplifies uh, what all these cults have in common. Uh, Many of them uh, deny that Jesus is actually God. Uh, They believe, well, he's the son, but he's not divine God. He's not the third person, or maybe they're non-Trinitarian. They don't believe in a trinity at all. And of all the cults, if you look at Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they've done one of the most thorough jobs in creating another Jesus. Uh, In The Truth Shall Make You Free, they state, being the only begotten Son of God and the firstborn of every creature, the Word would be a prince among other creatures. In this office, he bore another name in heaven, which is the name Michael. So in other words, Jesus is merely a created being, uh, not God the Creator. And so, uh, very different Jesus. They they take away from his deity entirely. First Colossians, Colossians 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's talking about Jesus. So he was there from the beginning. And then Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You know, it's, it's scary when you look at how easily sometimes we are deceived by these things. 
Yes. Uh, third uh, common trait of cults is that they multiply uh, the salvation requirements. Now, we know that, uh, you know, we need to just simply trust in the Lord. We believe on uh, his pure, spotless sacrifice that he made on the cross and that he came again. And He we, we make that personal. Uh, and when we believe on him, uh, we are saved. That's what the Bible says. Uh, we confess, we repent. In cults, it's oftentimes something more, isn't it, Nancy? Yes. Uh, sometimes they'll say that you have to go back and put yourself under the Old Testament law. You have to obey all of the Old Testament yeah. law in order to be saved. That's the Hebrew roots movement. And it's one thing if you're going to celebrate the feast days and things like that, uh, celebrating how Jesus fulfilled Passover, how he fulfilled the the first fruits, how he fulfilled yeah. uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, all of these things. But it's different if you're saying that I am not saved unless I obey every single one of these laws. Well, that's what Paul was always getting on uh, Peter about when we first started our Bible study in Galatians that he was doing. He wasn't obeying it himself, but he was asking the Gentiles to go under that, and it was wrong. Nancy, there is a fourth element in cults, and that is dividing the loyalty of the follower. You know, um, you see this practice of dividing loyalties between God and an organization. So uh, whereas the cult will convince its followers that they are an organization wholly devoted to God, the follower is taught to put his trust not in God, but the organization. And that's where we're going to pick it up tomorrow because this spawns all sorts of spiritual abuse. And we're going to talk tomorrow about elements of spiritual abuse in cults. And some of this, uh, many of you ladies have actually lived through and experienced. And so I want to prepare you for that. Uh, we are going to talk about this in depth tomorrow. But right now, what we're going to do is lay aside this conversation and pick up in our Bible study in the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible, and you're at home, you can open up your Bible to the letter of Paul to the Galatians, and we will have that Bible study with Beth Seifert right now. It's time to pull up a chair and open your Bible for today's Bible study segment of Naomi's Table. Gather around and let's begin. Well, we're back in the book of Galatians today in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, and we have quite a bit of things to discuss today, so we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. This lesson is called The Cursed Law, Day 9, Galatians three ten through 14 For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. On our own, we cannot ever perfectly keep the law. It isn't possible. We are human, we are flesh, and we will fall. It is not possible to do it alone. So when we rely on the law and observing the law to make us righteous or save us, we'll fail. That is, we'll be cursed and condemned because we can't save ourselves. We won't be cursed because we're trying to keep the law. We're already under the curse because of our sin. 
Paul starts by quoting from Deuteronomy 27:26, which says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say Amen. This is at a time when Moses and the priests were given the people commands as they became the people of the Lord God and warned them to obey. All the people were to verbally agree to what was said, and if anyone did not affirm those words, there was a curse pronounced there. Then Paul quotes here a verse uh, in verse 11 from Habakkuk 2. Now Habakkuk isn't a particularly happy-go-lucky book. Habakkuk is a prophet who calls out to God, complaining about all the wickedness and basically asking God where he is and why he hasn't acted. God responds to Habakkuk, and well, let me just say, by chapter 2, where this verse comes from, Habakkuk is really wishing he'd kept his mouth shut. God tells Habakkuk in no uncertain terms that, oh, he does see the people, and that he is going to act, but he is what he's going to do is raise up the Chaldeans to go through the people of Israel and take them captive and destroy them because of their wickedness. Habakkuk then says that he thinks God is being unfair and suggests that God is allowing righteous men to be swallowed up by the wicked and, the, and let the wicked prosper. Habakkuk then basically pouts. He says, I'm going to stand here, God, until you answer my complaint because God, I've got a case here. God then answers in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, and he says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. God is telling Habakkuk what to write down, write it really clearly because the messenger will need to be able to run and read at the same time. This is an urgent message that the people need to hear, so make sure you write it down clearly and big enough to be read. The people will hear this message and wait anxiously and not at ease because they know destruction is coming because God is sending it. And then he says the words that Paul quotes, The righteous shall live by faith. Now remember, at this time when Paul was writing this, you would memorize the entire book of Habakkuk. The chapter-verse delineations weren't there yet because we put them in later for easier references. So Paul quoting this verse would bring to mind all of Habakkuk for these people, the whole context, and Habakkuk being taken to the woodshed for questioning God. So let's read verses 10 and 11, okay? For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by, before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Just as Habakkuk thought that he had a right to complain to God about how he felt God was letting wicked men prosper while he was suffering, thus putting himself forth as a righteous man, Paul is challenging these Judaizers in their thinking here, saying, you're not any more righteous than Habakkuk when he complained to God. You can't be saved by the law. No, it is by faith that you are saved. Quit trying to do it yourself. When we insist on following rules above all else, which is legalism, we refuse God's grace. Literally what we're saying is, I've got this, God, I can do it. I don't need you, nor do I need the sacrifice of your son. Keep your grace, because for me, I can do this all on my own. Save that grace for someone who really needs it. Seriously, think about that and how ridiculous that sounds when you put it into words. But we act like that all the time. 
Well, God, your grace is necessary for those people, whoever they are. But in your infinite wisdom, you made me extra special, and I can handle this without your intervention or grace. Oh, the arrogance we show to our Father and Savior. We can't earn his grace, the grace that we so desperately need. And we don't have to because it is freely given. But when we rely on ourselves to such extents, we are refusing that grace altogether and crippling ourselves in our relationship with him. The law, ladies, is not based on faith. It is based on works and on saving yourself. Paul uses that courtroom language here again, as he does so often, reminding us that our justification, being declared righteous, is not able to be brought about by living by the law. No one is justified by the law before God because no one can keep the law perfectly. The righteous will live by faith. That is, the righteous person will not live trying to save himself, but will live a life that is based on their faith in Christ and his righteousness, not their own. The righteous will hold fast to the promises of God, will gladly obey his will out of gratitude for what he has done for them. We know that the only way to be saved, to be made righteous, is through his blood. A person could keep the entire law, as well as a person could do, without ever actually believing anything that God says, or without accepting Christ. It becomes pure ritual at that point. All behavior, no heart. Period. An expectation of reward for services rendered. It is no longer anything but a trading of services. That idea says, here God, I'll obey these things, and I'll make you look really good because I'll, I'll say that I'm doing it for you. And then, God, you give me eternal life, okay? Because I earned it. Eternal life for those who have been redeemed has always been God's plan, always. But it was provided through an everlasting covenant that did not rely on our behavior to keep it binding, and it was revealed in the gospel. Eternal life is the pure gift of God's grace through Christ. It was never meant to be attained by works. Paul is now quoted from the law in Deuteronomy, then the prophets in Habakkuk, and now again quotes the Old Testament again from the law. This is from Leviticus 18 as God is giving his commands to the people through Moses. Verses 1 through 5 say, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not keep their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Again, the people would be reminded of the circumstances and context of this quote, and they would realize that even as God gave commandments and laws to the people, God was emphasizing that these commands were not just about obedience, they were about living by the commands of the Lord their God, who had loved them enough to rescue them from Egypt and give them the land where they could live, blessing them and warning them to stay set apart from the adulterous people in Canaan. Thus they would hear these words and be reminded of how much God loved them, what he had done for them, and also be reminded that they were told not to add idol worship or anything else in to the commands God had given to them as they were doing and adding in the requirements of the Judaizers in circumcision. Okay, here's something that I've struggled to fully grasp before now. Christ is our Redeemer, right? He's redeemed us from the curse of the law by taking on our sins, answering for our sins, and paying our debt with his blood. Now, it is, in many ways, that phrase 
pay our debt that I always miss something out of. Do you remember when we went through the book of Ruth? Well, if you don't, here's the best sum up of what you need to remember. Naomi had no husband and no sons, but she had a daughter-in-law, Ruth. Under Jewish law or tradition, if a man... If a woman was widowed before having sons, it was the responsibility of the next nearest male relative to marry her and try to have an heir for her dead husband. Biologically, it would obviously not be her dead husband's child, but it would be of the same bloodline, and that child would inherit all that the dead father had left. However, this new husband would also be responsible for any debts incurred by the previous husband that would impact the inheritance And he was taking the risk that the only male he might have had would be through this woman, which would mean that this child would inherit not only his mother's first husband's property, but also his biological father's property. And that could cause problems if you wanted to keep the two lines separate through different wives, as was the custom at the time, unfortunately. Boaz was a kinsman of Naomi, but he was the second closest. Before he married Ruth and accepted both the land that was rightfully hers through the inheritance, as well as accepted the responsibility to father a child to carry on Naomi's son's name, he had to find this first male relative and make sure he relinquished his claim on Ruth, the land, and everything else. Such a relative was called the kinsman redeemer because he redeemed the line of a deceased relative. Now, jump back to what we've just read. Jesus paid our debt. He got for us eternal redemption, which he was more than able to do as God. However, as man, he also comes as our near kinsman, and his was the right of redemption of his people. A kinsman redeemer is such an intimate relationship, and Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He took on our debts, our sins, our curses, and he redeemed it all. It was promised to Abraham that through him his seed, singular, Christ, would bless the Gentiles and they too would be justified. That is the same blessing Abraham enjoyed, justification not by his own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. Ladies, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, not because of our own worthiness, but because of His grace and through faith in Christ our Lord and Savior. He has provided everything that we need to be in fellowship with Him. He even provided the Spirit to dwell in our hearts and help us to love His law and to obey it. That's cool. We are literally the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is part of the triune God. That blows me away. All of this promised to Abraham and fulfilled through Christ, our kinsman redeemer. I guess my question or thought for today is, where does your behavior come from? Are you doing good because you are supposed to do good and it needs to be crossed off the list? Or are you doing good out of the thankful depths of your heart for what has been done for you? Not because you were so valuable, but because he valued you. Do you see the joy that comes from realizing that he died for you? Do you want to live to please him? Or do you want to live to follow the rules, to avoid making him mad, and to get what you think you should deserve? There's a big difference, ladies. We need to examine our hearts and make sure that we are doing everything for His glory. And where we find that we are working for our own glory or goals, we need to repent and ask Him to help us to act out of the gratitude that we have for our Savior. Ladies, you can find the notes for this study under the Bible Studies tab on the website naomistable.com. Day 9, The Cursed Law.
Well, ladies, that was our Bible study, and Beth did an excellent job, Nancy. We're talking about, if you're just tuning in, uh, Galatians 3, 10 through 14, the righteous shall live by faith. A lot in here. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, that whole idea of you can be righteous enough by keeping the law, uh, you look at, for instance, um, we talked in the earlier segment about Hebraic Roots Movement, and that's one of the things that they seek to do is they say, well, we're supposed to obey God if we are in Christ, so we need to go back to the Old Testament law and obey everything in the Old Testament law. But what Paul's pointing out is that the law was put there to show us that it was impossible for us to obey all the law. So as a result, we have to totally rely on him by faith. Now, the benefit is, is when you surrender to him and you live in faith to him, then he gives you the grace and you have the love for him in you to please him because your heart is more important to him than the outward actions. Yes, and really what the law does is it shows us just how far far, uh, we fall short. It shows us that uh, it is, like you said, Nancy, impossible to keep the law. And uh, when I think of that, uh, and and I'm reading the scripture and I'm reading uh, the law, if I don't read the gospel right after that, I don't understand that, uh, you know, but God's grace was lavished on us because he knew we couldn't keep it. And so he did something about it. Yes. Uh, And what he did was he gave us that kinsman redeemer. He gave us Jesus Christ to pay that final sacrifice as payment for our debt that we've racked up by breaking the law. And if you want to go put yourself back under the law again and think you can be good enough, or I love how she worded it, you know, thanks God, I can take it from here. That's just pride. Yes, it is. And the thing is, is that um, many people, we were talking about cults earlier. We're going to talk about this again tomorrow. Uh, Many people want uh, and crave that list of rules. Well, I can do that. I can can certainly keep these rules. You think of the Islam faith, for instance. There are rules to follow. Mm -hmm. And if you just keep them, uh, then there's a a shot that you might, you know, flip a coin. You might even make it into, uh, you know, heaven there. But uh, again, uh, there's only one true way to guarantee that you're going to heaven. Only one faith promises that, and that is the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So the question at the end that she asks is really important. Where does my behavior come from? Out of obligation so I can cross things off a list, or out of love and a desire to please God in gratitude and for his glory? Now, I know as we wrap up the program, Nancy, you've got some scripture verses, uh, I believe, from the book of Matthew. Is that right? That's right. And And if you want to read a good companion passage to all of this Bible study, just read all of Matthew 23. But right now we're going to start at uh, verse 23 in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weight.
weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, there is a huge difference between Christ's righteousness and our own uh, self-righteousness. And of course, Nancy, uh, the Lord loves our broken hearts, not our deeds, but our broken hearts. And through our brokenness, through his grace, flow this love to want to do his will. So uh, ladies, we hope this inspires you to read more. We're going to leave it here for right now, but part two of our discussion on spiritual abuse and cults will happen tomorrow at the table. So hope you can invite some friends and pull up a chair. And until then, have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you for joining us today at Naomi's Table. We encourage you to head over to naomistable.com for resources, articles, Bible study guides, and much more. Until next time, be equipped and encouraged in God's word.